0: Let that just be a reminder uh, to us as we kind of go into the holiday season. That uh, it, you know, this is a, a really important time for uh, our church to uh, be sure that we are sensitive to the needs of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and to to be supportive and, and loving, and to to offer that encouragement when we feel led, and to and to even be on the lookout for some of those signs of somebody that needs some extra encouragement and some extra. Uh, support. Well, uh, welcome to Element Church. My name is Andy Hazlet, and I'm an associate pastor here at the church. And I have a privilege of sharing the message, message with you today. Uh, like I said, we're coming up on, uh, this is like the start of the holiday season, Thanksgiving week. It's awesome. I love it. And uh, how many of you have any holiday horror stories? Anybody have some holiday horror stories? Maybe a few of you, probably. The more you think about it, you, you can think about some of that. Maybe you're about to experience some of those holiday horror stories horror stories, I don't know. Uh, We'll see here in the upcoming week, but uh, I will never forget the time. It happened exactly five years ago, and I'll let you know why I remember this exact date, but exactly five years ago, we uh, we had Thanksgiving, and and this particular Thanksgiving, uh, we were not able to be with our family, and instead, we went to some friend's house here in Cheyenne, and we had a good time and everything, but I will never forget it because no one remembered to bring butter. Okay, now that's a holiday horror story. Like how do you have Thanksgiving without butter? That's a trick question. You do not have Thanksgiving without butter. It is not supposed to happen. And, and maybe that seems silly to you, but the reason why I can remember this exact date five years ago is because my wife was nine months pregnant, and she, she was like, I think she, she had our, our daughter a week after Thanksgiving, and so butter is a big deal. I mean, if I'm honest, it's a big deal to me as well, but, but when you're talking about a nine-month-old pregnant lady and she has a craving for a roll with butter on it on Thanksgiving meal, You don't want to mess with that. You just don't want to mess with that. And so it's kind of silly, but my wife Aubrey and I, we look back at that and we laugh about that now. And, And more importantly, we make sure the fridge is stocked with plenty of butter for Thanksgiving and any holiday for that matter. Perhaps you are already anticipating the stress and the utter meltdowns that can sometimes accompany this Thursday. Yet we continue to say happy holidays, right? And and starting this week, we will be inundated with advertisements from every media platform available that boast of the joy of the holidays. Holidays are supposed to be filled with joy. They're supposed to be happy because they're filled with friends and family and fun, right? But two months from now, the debt from Christmas isn't very fun anymore, and the, uh, the family blow up is maybe still fresh in our minds. And the amazing food that we consumed for a month and a half solid has now created a negative achievement on the scales that will result in a New Year's resolution, right? Anybody with me on, on all of these things? If we're honest, we've all experienced the unhappy side of the holidays as well. The big idea for the message today is this. God doesn't want your holidays to be happy. He wants you to be happy. The main scripture is Psalm 1. There's only six verses in Psalm 1. We're going to look at all six of them. It says this, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord meditating on it day and night they're like trees planted along the river bank bearing fruit each season their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do but not the wicked they're like worthless chaff scattered by the wind they will be condemned at the time of judgment sinners will have no place among the godly for the lord watches over the path of the godly but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. God doesn't want your holidays to be happy. He wants you to be happy. So the big question we're going to answer in the message today is this, what is God's plan for my happiness? Now maybe you're thinking, and and, uh, rightly so, that I'm not sure if God wants me to be happy. I'm not even sure if that's a, a biblical concept. And it is true that the kind of happiness that God gives to his people is quite different than what the world thinks of. Often the the concept of happiness in our culture has everything to do with our feelings and our possessions. And in this passage, the word happy and the word blessed or blessedness can be used interchangeably. This happiness or this blessing that God wants to give his people is so much more than a feeling. It's so much more than a financial blessing. It is the blessing of contentment regardless of my circumstances. It's the blessing of purity of heart before God. It's the blessing of knowing God personally. So what's God's plan for my happiness? Number one is this, we need different counsel. We need different counsel. Let's look back at verse one. It says this Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Now, we could spend the entire message on this one verse because there's a lot packed into this one verse. And if you're the kind of person that likes to receive the bad news first, uh, you'll probably appreciate this first point and, uh, in verse 1. Now, to help me explain this verse, I brought, uh, I brought a whiteboard out here. I need to sneak back here and grab another marker. Brought my whiteboard out here. And there's six key words on this whiteboard. And we're going to kind of use this to explain what's going on in this verse. There's a lot packed into it. It's, It's an incredible verse. And so let's take a quick look back over what the verse is saying. Blessed is the man, or blessed is the person that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Secondly, uh, blessed is the person that does not stand in the way that sinners take. And lastly, blessed is the person that does not sit in the seat of the scornful or mockers. There's a couple of things I want to kind of point out to you here. The, the first thing is on this side of the board. These three words, there is a progression here. Walk, stand, stand. And sit. There's a natural progression here. Now, uh, let's let's use the illustration of some of the shopaholics in the room today. Anybody? Would you say you're a shopaholic? You love to shop, whether you need to or not. You just love to shop. Thank you for admitting that. That's fantastic. So Black Friday is coming up, right? Uh, just because I love budgets, let me remind you that you should go into that with a budget in mind, and then it'll be that much more joyful, right? Okay. So you shopaholics, right? Maybe you love shopping for clothes. And just imagine maybe you have, you don't need any clothes, but you love to shop for clothes, right? And that's okay that you enjoy that. That's, that's completely fine. Uh, but you love to shop for clothes, even though you don't need any clothes. And so you walk into the mall. First mistake, right? should just stay away from there. Just stay away. So you walk into the mall and you just happen to find your way right in front of your favorite store, right? And the window's there with the amazing display and there's this outfit there and and you can, you can, you stop. And you, you are enamored with the display in the window and you can begin to just picture yourself in that outfit and how awesome you look or if you're a lady, how cute you look and how everybody think you look awesome and everything. And so you stop and look and then you make the, the final mistake and you go into the store and, and you find your size and you go into the dressing room and it is game over at that point, Right. Some of you have experienced this. Now, now, not, you know, we don't want to just pick on the shopaholics that like to shop for clothes uh, because some of you guys have experienced this same kind of thing when you accidentally bought a $50,000 pickup truck, right? <laughs> anybody, anybody do that before? Just, I don't know how it happened. It just happened. Like you, the first mistake was you walked onto the parking lot and the dealership, right? Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, just don't even go there, right? But you walked into the dealership and then you stopped and you found that pickup that was just incredible and you realized how awesome you'd look in it. And then and then you began to justify why you need that and why you deserve that, right? Things like that. And then it was game over when you sat down in the seat of that pickup truck and you took a test drive and then you had to explain to your wife why in the world you bought a $50,000 pickup you don't need. Maybe, anybody, happen to anybody? There's a progression here. Walk, stand, stand. And sit, and then there's another progression on the other side of the board. Now this progression is, is not as it's not as funny. Um, it, it's it's a progression of sin. Now the truth is, sin is always progressive. Always, sin always goes from bad to worse. And so it starts with this word ungodly. Some translations use the word wicked. And the idea of this word ungodly is simply a disinterest in God. The second word sinners is not only is it a disinterest in God, but it is an intentional pursuit of sin and evil. And then the third word mocker or scornful is an image of the atheist, it's an image of the person that has a hatred for God and a hatred for the church. And so they actually mock God and they mock the church. Now, many of you in the room uh, resonate with, with one of those three words. And, and I want you to know, I, I am so glad that you're here. So glad that you're here. And some of you resonate with that word mocker, right? Right? Like, like you, have a, you have a hatred for God and a hatred for Christianity. And so there's probably not a lot of you in the room today, but you're in the room nonetheless. And I'm so glad that you are. Some of you resonate with that word sinners. Now, of course, all of us are sinners and we, we, are all, we all fall short of the glory of God, right? Uh, we're all sinners in that sense. But, but what I mean here and, and what this verse mean, means here is that you are actively and intentionally pursuing evil. And there's some of you in the room that are living that way, but you are pretending to be followers of Christ. And if your private life became public, no one would believe your faith claim. Now that image is an image of the wolf in sheep's clothing. And some of you maybe resonate with that word ungodly. Perhaps you're here today uh, because you feel guilty or because somebody dragged you to church today. Uh, it's not that you're like just a, a, a wicked, evil person pursuing sin, but you, you just have a disinterest in God. Now, this right here, this right here is the reason why following Christ is so difficult. And I believe this is, this is one of the reasons why, why Jesus said, count The cost, it's difficult to follow Christ. Easy to comprehend, difficult to actually do and submit to because when you don't follow Jesus, most of your friends also don't follow Jesus. And in every case, to follow Christ means saying goodbye to your old life, including many of the things that you used to enjoy, as well as, in many cases, saying goodbye to your ungodly friends and your ungodly family. Now hang with me because uh, I know there's a chance that I might be stepping on some toes here. I believe this is what Christ had in mind when he said this in Luke 14, 25 through 27. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. You see, the, the point Jesus was making is not that you are to become hateful to your family and friends when you follow Jesus. But it means that when you choose to go the way of Christ, you are choosing to reject your own way. And that has implications for every area of our lives. Who you allow to speak into your life and who you allow to give you counsel. We need a different counsel. What I find fascinating about Psalm 1, is that Jesus perfectly exemplifies the path of the happy man or the blessed man. John 14, 6, famous verse says, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So most important over anything else in this message today is this. We must see here... That the way of Christ is different than the way of the world. And unless you take the counsel of Christ and you accept his way by submitting to Jesus as the Lord of your life. Hear me out. His truth and his life, it won't even interest you. It won't. God doesn't want your holidays to be happy. He wants you to be happy. So what's God's plan for my happiness? Well, firstly, we need different counsel. We need to go the way of Christ. We need to choose the way of Christ. Second is this. We must be cultivated by the truth of Christ. Verse 2 says this. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. To cultivate means to develop or to acquire. There must be a development of God's truth in the life of the believer. And there's, there's two things here that we need to understand. The believer is to delight in the word of God. And secondly, to meditate on the word of God. Now, I'm telling you, it's impossible to delight in the truth of Christ if you are not surrendered to the way of Christ. Impossible. In other words, if you are not following Jesus and his way, you will never delight in his truth. The two go hand in hand. They they go together. And likewise, delight and meditation go hand in hand. I've discovered in my own life that it's difficult to find understanding of the word of God without any meditation on the word of God. I want to share with you a a section of commentary from Dr. J. Vernon McGee. It's kind of gross, but it's incredibly helpful. I can tell you're brimming with anticipation. So here it is. He says this, meditate is a very figurative word. It pictures a cow chewing her cud. I'm told that the cow has several compartments in her tummy. She can go out in the morning, graze on the grass when the dew is on it in the cool of day. Then when it gets hot in the middle of the day, she lies down under a tree and begins to chew the cud. She moves the grass she had in the morning back up. And now she masticates it. She goes over it again. That is what we do when we meditate. Isn't that disgusting? That's gross. That's disgusting, right? Now, aren't you thankful we don't eat like cows? I know I'm thankful. That'd make for an interesting first date, date, would it not? Right? Like 30 minutes after you eat, it just, oh, sorry. Uh, It's coming back up. And you regurgitate it and just chew it again, right? That is nasty. But that is... That is, I told you it's gross, but that's the picture here. I love the Bible. I love that this kind of stuff is actually in there. It's fantastic. Now Thanksgiving's coming up, right? And I want you to picture in mind, <laughs> even better. I want you to have in mind, not the regurgitate part, but, but I want you to think of your favorite, uh, your favorite Thanksgiving dish, right? Uh, th- you know, picture it in your mind. Now for me, Pumpkin pie, who's with me? Anybody just love you some pumpkin pie? How many of you hate pumpkin pie? Like you think it's nasty, okay? I'm sorry uh, that you're missing out on that blessing of the Lord. But... Uh, 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 In my opinion, there is a right way to eat pumpkin pie and there is a wrong way to eat pumpkin pie as well. Now, I think eating pumpkin pie warm is nasty, disgusting. I can't understand who would do that. Something's wrong with you, okay? Uh, In my opinion, I know it's just my opinion, but I love to have pumpkin pie. It's gotta be homemade. None of that store-bought stuff. It's gotta be homemade and uh, we make it the day before so that it can sit in the refrigerator for an entire day, okay? Because it needs to be as cold as it can get without freezing. And then when we eat it, we put, you know, put a layer of Cool Whip on, on the, the pumpkin pie. It needs to be at least the thickness of the pumpkin pie, if not double the thickness of the pumpkin pie. And I'm telling you, it will change your life. It will never be the same. And for me, I savor every bite. I don't lick the plate, but I get really close, about as close as you can get to licking the plate. And, and that's, that's the kind of image we have here to delight in the word of God and meditate to savor the word of God. That's the image that we have here. I came across this great question in my study from another commentary. It says uh, says this, is your delight in the law of God? Do you study God's word? Do you make it the man of your right hand, your best companion and hourly guide? If not, this blessing belongeth not to you. Now, if we're honest, that could be said about our favorite TV show or even the attention that we give to Facebook or of the person that we're trying to impress, perhaps. But it's usually not true when it comes to our pursuit and cultivation of the word of God in our lives. And I'm telling you, until we make the time and dedicate our undivided attention to the the word of God we will never experience the blessing of it in our lives. And so the best advice I can give you is to start somewhere. Start somewhere, okay? Or, or, or maybe uh, scrap everything you're doing and, and start from the ground up. Because if you're not experiencing the joy, the, this delight in the meditation on God's word, you're doing something wrong. Perhaps you are not actually following Jesus. Because I promise you, until you submit to the way of Christ, you will never enjoy the truth of Christ. You just won't. And, And so for many of you, you just need to get a Bible. So stop out in the lobby, grab a Bible, stop at guest services, ask for one. We'd love to give you one today. Start somewhere. Develop a time where you can give your undivided attention to it. You know, when your kids are in bed and and maybe your spouse is doing something else, like develop a time in your schedule, even if it has to be different every day. But figure out a time and a place that's enjoyable where you can really slow down and meditate on it. So I'm telling you, if we get this figured out, it will change our lives. It will. And I can say that with confidence because God's changed my life with it. And continues to do so. God doesn't want your holidays to be happy. He wants you to be happy. So what is God's plan for my happiness? We need different counsel. We need the counsel of Christ. And secondly, we must be cultivated by the truth of Christ. And lastly, number three is this. We must embrace God's calling. We must embrace God's calling. Let's look back over verses three through six. And I'm gonna gonna stop along the way and give you some explanation as we go. Verse three says this. They're like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. This in verse three is a picture of those who are truly born again. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation repent of their sin and as the scriptures promise are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. They are no longer wild growing trees but they are planted by God with intentionality and they gain their nutrition from the truth of Christ. They are planted by the riverbank. It's a picture of those who are born again. Verse 4 Says this, but not the wicked. They're like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. The born again Christian is here contrasted with the wicked. And in this verse, verse four, that word wicked in the King James, you're going to recognize it, it's translated as ungodly. And and something to note here is that that word is the same word in verse one. Ungodly. It's the same word that's used in verse one to describe the first stage of sin and evil. Remember, this is the individual that may not be an atheist trying to destroy the church or intentionally pursuing evil, but they simply have no interest in God. Now, this should be a sobering truth for us. For God says that 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 person, with even the mildest degree of unbelief and disinterest in God, is as worthless as chaff. Chaff, by the way, is the outer shell that surrounds a seed. And When this was written in King David's day, part of the process for separating the wheat from the chaff involved throwing the wheat up into the air on a windy day. The wind would blow the outer part, the worthless chaff, away while the the wheat would fall straight to the ground. This is a stark and harsh comparison. The plain definition is that while the godly, those who are born again, are planted firmly, the chaff or the ungodly, are worthless and will be blown away by the wind." Verses five and six. "They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads destruction the seriousness of this passage it's it's got to set in for us because what is at stake is so much more than happy feelings and fulfillment in life eternity is at stake now you may not agree with with what I'm saying you may not agree with this passage and that's your prerogative that's that's okay But this is exactly what the Bible teaches. It's exactly what this passage teaches. And that's exactly what the rest of of the scriptures throughout the New Testament teach as well. That unless you submit to the way of Christ and grow by the truth of Christ, you will never experience the life of Christ, nor eternity in heaven with Christ. And I hope more than anything I hope that we see that as an invitation. And we sang about it today, man of sorrows. We sang about the victory of Christ over death in the grave. That victory that will conquer sin and death in you and in me if we submit to the way of Christ. It's an invitation. A lot we can focus on here because this is a picture of the life of Christ that he wants to breathe into us and breathe out from us as well. But I wanna focus on just two things from verse three. The first is this, fruit is not produced in every season. It is produced in season. I'll tell you what this reminds me of is strawberries. There's an in season for strawberries, right? And it's so frustrating when you, you go to the grocery store, you get a package of strawberries and they look really, uh, they, they have that deep red color to them, but then you bite into one and it's white on the inside. You know, more sour than sweet. There's an in season for every fruit, right? Every fruit has its season. And spiritually speaking, there is a season for planting and there is a season for harvesting. Joe Sangle, you you may know who that is. He comes here often and speaks on finances. But one of the phrases he always says is this, there is no harvest if you do not invest, right? He always says that all the time. And that's true. So in this context, let that be an encouragement to you today. Keep on planting. Keep on cultivating. Keep on pursuing the Lord. Digest the truth of God, pray out to God, cultivate your walk with the Lord, immerse yourself in the fellowship of believers for at the right time, there will be an opportunity to share your faith. There will be times of great spiritual blessing where you know that God is using you for his glory and you have a keen awareness of his calling in your life. But that kind of fruit and those kinds of spiritual results, they don't necessarily happen in every season. So if you're not experiencing that right now, don't be discouraged. I'm telling you, if you do, uh, if you want a harvest, you need to invest. So invest your time into the truth of God. The second thing, and lastly, is this fruit is not consumed by the tree. It's produced for others. Like, you've never seen an apple tree eat its own apples, right? No, you haven't. If you've seen that, then you probably ate some mushrooms that you shouldn't have eaten or something like that, right? It didn't happen. The, the, the apple produced from an apple tree is produced for others, right? Right? Several weeks ago, I had the the honor of uh, officiating a funeral service here right in our church uh, for a a great man of God uh, that's been involved here at Element for a number of years. His name's Brad. And Brad passed away very unexpectedly. It was heartbreaking kind of of situation. And days after Brad passed away, uh, I, I met with... Uh, Brad's sister and her husband, Chris, uh, we met right up front in the cafe and, and we planned out Brad's funeral. And those are, those are tough. Uh, those, those are tough meetings. Um, they're helpful, but they're difficult. Uh, they're always difficult. And uh, the, the, the only good thing that, that you know, came of that meeting is, is that we had a, a real solid sense of hope that we knew where Brad was because uh, Brad had such a real genuine faith in Jesus. uh, It transformed his life and and there was a lot we could rejoice in in that respect. It's it's still difficult. And Chris, Brad's brother-in-law, in in describing his brother-in-law, he said something about Brad. And I'll, I'll never forget it. He said, Brad lived for other people. He lived for other people. He lived to serve and did that stick with me? Do I live to serve other people? Or do I live to serve myself? Right? That's, that's a picture we have here. That, that when we choose to go the way of Christ, and when we are, are cultivated by the truth of Christ, and we really genuinely delight and meditate on the truth of God, and we allow the truth of God to transform us, we go the way of Christ. We experience the transforming truth of Christ. I'm telling you, we get to experience the life of Christ. And and that life that, that he produces it, it does a lot for the people around us. It ought to. So do I live to serve? Because I'm telling you, that will be one of the greatest blessings of your Christian walk is when you begin to understand the gifts that God's given you and the resources God's blessed you with. And then he gives you a passion for using those things and using your influence to bless the people that God's blessed in your life. Man, uh, there's no blessing like that. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to take counsel in you and to go the way of Christ rather than our own way. I pray, Jesus, that you would cultivate our hearts by your word, that we would delight in it and meditate on it. And Lord, I pray that you would breathe your life into us. And may the life of Christ be breathed out of us and affect the people that you've placed in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.